a vocation and um, how uh, we as Christians uh, work, um, what it means to us, what it means to God, um, and, and how Jesus showed uh, not only his aptitude toward different types of work while he was walking the earth, but also shows us today how we can better accomplish not just our, our work outside of here, but our work here and, and all around and, and fusing together all of this into our lives. Um, and we kind of ended on, on the, a few pieces of, of the shepherding uh, part about Jesus uh, last time. We talked a little bit about uh, Abel being a keeper of sheep. You know, shepherding goes way back, uh, all the way back to the beginning. So we had Abel as a shepherd, uh, Jacob as a shepherd. And while Jacob was a good uh, shepherd as far as business and management was concerned, as far as leadership and his family was concerned, he, he didn't shepherd his family uh, quite as well. Um, but God still was able to use him. And we talked a little bit about the fact that, uh, the fact that, the, that since the Israelites were sh- a shepherding tribe or shepherding people, that it allowed them to keep themselves separated from the Egyptians and from the religion of the Egyptians while they were in Egypt for 400 years. So by the time their time of uh, sojourning in the land of Egypt was over after 400 years, they were still religiously separate from the Egyptians. And a lot of that had to do with the fact that they were shepherds because the, that was detestable to the Egyptians. So they lived in, a, in the land of Goshen, which was separated uh, by distance, by geography from the Egyptians and allowed them to thrive in that area and also to maintain their, uh, their, their religious separation to, to God himself. Now, after that 400 years had passed, um, and it was time for the Israelites to leave Egypt, we see again uh, an important figure, as far as shepherding goes, coming back in. The central figure of the Lamb, because of the blood of the Lamb. Under the shelter of the blood of the Lamb, death passed over the nation of Israel, sparing the firstborn, and by God's Grace, the people were led out of bondage and into a new life and a new relationship with God. And under that new relationship that was formed between God and his people because of the blood of the lamb, um, sacrifices were included as a way to atone for sins and allow his people to be close to him again in a new and different way. Uh, This was something that, that hadn't happened until the law was written by Moses. So this, this whole new phase of the relationship between God and humanity comes into play at this point because of the blood of the Lamb. And that's a, a very specific and important shepherding term that we'll see as we go along in the lesson a little bit farther. And of course, all of these sacrifices included animals. All of the blood sacrifices included animals um, but the most special sacrifices, as far as, as we can see from Scripture, were Passover and the Day of Atonement, or Yom Kippur, you may have heard it called. And both of those sacrifices, both of those days, included the blood of the Lamb. So again, we have this, this transformative kind of thing going on in the nation of Israel because of the fact that they were a shepherding people, 
the blood of the lamb, the lamb coming together, the, the sheep coming together to uh, make this change throughout their nation. Now, if you fast forward another 400 years to the time of David, you see he was a shepherd also. Um, and David explains just how harrowing being a shepherd can be when he talks to Saul about uh, the way he's going to defeat Goliath. In 1 Samuel 17, 34 through 36, David is talking to Saul and he's telling him about what he plans to do. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and I struck him down and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. David wasn't afraid. He'd face down the lion and the bear protecting his sheep. So being a shepherd wasn't just a matter of caring for the sheep. It wasn't just a matter of, of you know, uh, sacrificing them when, when, it had to, when it had to be done. It also was a self-sacrificial type of, of act or, or job or occupation um, because it, it included quite a bit of danger in the protection of those sheep. Of course, David turns uh, shepherding around in Psalm 23, doesn't he? When he looks at God as his shepherd, and we've talked about Psalm 23, we've, we all know it by heart, I'm, I'm sure. Um, the Lord is my shepherd. And the way that he makes me to lie down in green pastures and leads me beside still waters and restores my soul, protects me, you know, his rod and his staff comfort me, uh, even though I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death. So David, this... this uh, Occupation of shepherding was extremely important in uh, the mind of the nation of Israel, but also in David's own mind. And he uses that in his leadership style and in everything that he does, even in the way he goes out before his enemies. He uses this occupation to guide the way he's accomplishing the things that he does in his life. And that's something that we can look at in our own occupations, how we're using that along with you know, God's will and glorifying him to lead lives that are, that are subject to him. So shepherding then isn't just any occupation in the psyche and history of Israel or in our own as Christians. Shepherding is something that can come to mind for us. It's something that we can use in the way that we act and react in our own lives and in our own occupations and the way that we serve God. So let's go on next to Jesus as shepherd. Jesus the shepherd himself. So based on the history and religion we just delved into, looking at the survey of history of uh, shepherding throughout the Old Testament, um, it's easy to see how Jesus would know and use shepherding as not just an occupation, but as a way of leadership and life. Um, I have a, a quote here from an article by a man named Scott Schleman. He wrote an article about uh, socioeconomic status and the belief about God's influence in everyday life. And he says this, Individuals who sustain a belief in divine control 
perceive that God has a determinative influence on the good and bad outcomes in their lives. That God has decided what their life shall be. And that their fate evolves according to God's will or plan for them. Moreover, they tend to rely on God in their decision-making and more fervently seek His guidance for solutions to their problems. There's There's an understood leading and seeking that is present in God's care for us. And one of the most consistent ways in which Jesus refers to those whom he sought was that of lost sheep. If you look at Matthew 15, 24, he talks about this. He's talking to a Canaanite woman here about his people, about his ministry, about what he's doing at that particular time. And he says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, referring to his people, to the people he was seeking, the people he was going out to find as his sheep, the lost sheep. And in Matthew 10, 6, he tells his disciples, go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. In verse 16, he says, behold, I send you out as sheep amidst the wolves. So it's it's pretty obvious, you know, if you just look through what Jesus says about his people to his people throughout Um, the New Testament. Um, He knows what it means to be a shepherd who takes care of his sheep and and takes care of those who cannot take care of themselves. And when he when he speaks to us as sheep, he's he's kinda it's kind of uh he's given us the greatest uh, comfort but also it's it's kind of an insult in a way. Um, I, I don't think he means it as an insult but but if you've ever dealt with sheep before, some of you may have, have been around sheep or, or uh, dealt with them. I, I'm not sure if you have, but um, sheep aren't very smart. And they don't have claws, and um, they've just got teeth that are used for chewing grass and stuff like that. They're, they're defenseless. Um, and they're aimless. They have to have somebody to guide them to where they need to go to get water and to get food. If you leave sheep in one spot, they'll just eat up all the grass there, and then they'll be like, what do we do now? Um, So so calling somebody a sheep uh, sometimes can come across as as insulting, especially if we're just calling them that way in, in our day and age today. But although we might be aimless, and we might not always use our brains to our highest capacity, and we may be defenseless in a lot of ways against evil, Um, in the end that doesn't matter because our great shepherd says, I'm not going to let anything happen to you. Um, I'm going to make sure that you're safe and that you have what you need. And that's the kind of shepherd we have. That's the kind of shepherd who leads us and guides us and cares for us, watches over us and protects us. Look at how he describes this relationship in Luke 15, 4 through 7. I think this is a really great description of Jesus' care for for us. What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, doesn't leave the 99 in the open country... And go after the one he's lost until he finds it. And when he's found it, 
he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you that there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Jesus doesn't shepherd us passively. Jesus doesn't just go, okay, you're, you're my flock. Go about your business. Just go do whatever. I'm, I'm going to hang out back here at the corral or the pen or whatever and let you do whatever you... No, he's, he doesn't shepherd passively. Jesus is an active shepherd. The very definition of shepherding is one of action, risk, and sacrifice. They hunt down the lions and the bears. They defeat the giants. And they rescue their sheep from high cliffs and low pits. Jesus is not a passive shepherd. Jesus is an active shepherd coming out to look for you. To take care of you. In John 10, 11 through 16, he says this. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who is not on the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and he cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. And they'll listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. Jesus makes it clear that he is the one around whom we as his sheep are to flock. We look to him for our learning, protection, sustenance, and life. In him we have a future and a home. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He's, he's not only the great shepherd, but also the Lamb of God. He plays a dual role in this shepherding scheme that we see. If you look at Isaiah 53, verses 6 through 7, we've heard these before. It's very important. It shows how far he was willing to go. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He became, Jesus became one of the sheep and took our place. Jesus became, became the perfect lamb that we could not be in order to make the sacrifice we could not make. So not only is he the great shepherd, he is the great sheep. He is the great lamb. He takes our place. And the lamb was spoken of by John the baptizer as well. If you look at John <clears throat> chapter 1, verses 29 through 30, he talks about the lamb 
The next day, he saw Jesus coming toward him, this is John the Baptist, and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. See, John knew the preeminence of Jesus as God, and he knew how much Jesus gave to become the Lamb. And it's this kind of servant leadership, this amazing self-denying sacrifice that represents to us just how perfect of a shepherd Jesus is. He denies himself, he sets his glory aside, and he becomes a sheep like you and me. That would be equivalent-ish <laughs> to, one, to you or me becoming like, you remember what happened to Nebuchadnezzar? how he became a beast, I believe it was for seven years. And he, he ate grass and he, his hair grew out like eagle's feathers and his fingernails grew into talons and he became this beast. And it would be like us being debased to that, like us becoming a beast of the field and grazing and, and being humbled in that way. Jesus humbled himself in that manner. He, he lowered himself to become a sheep like you and me. And not only that, but then he let himself become the sacrifice. He became the Passover lamb. He became the atoning lamb on the Day of Atonement, the, the Day of Atonement, the Yom Kippur that will last forever for us. That's the kind of shepherd, that's the kind of sheep we follow. And he leads us in a right way. So Jesus, oh, come on, let's go. Oh, okay, you got it. Thanks, guys. Appreciate that. All right, so Jesus' system of shepherding. So it isn't just a matter of, of the way he leads. He has a system set up. He has organized this thing, all right? Remember, Jesus isn't just a good leader. He's a good manager. Jesus knows how to organize things. He knows how to plan the work and work the plan. And he does this, and he shows us over and over again how he does it. Of course, when Jesus ascended and left the business of the church establishment and growth to his apostles, he didn't leave them without a method of shepherding. As the good shepherd, Jesus is the head of the church, but as Moses wisely appointed elders to shepherd the flock of Israel, Jesus did the same. He's the great judge of all mankind, and all of his judgments are perfect. Therefore, he appoints in his kingdom men who should follow suit and make judgments and decisions based on his own righteousness. And that's part of what we see our shepherds do today. The shepherds we see today began as men appointed in congregations for the purpose of leadership and guidance as wise men who could love and lead the young sheep in the church. And we see this laid out very well in Scripture in the New Testament. If you look over at Titus chapter 1, verses 5 through 9, it's, it's very plainly, very clearly laid out. We see here, it says, this is Paul writing to, to Titus. He says, This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer as God's steward, 
must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a junkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. See, Jesus knew that we sheep would need shepherds here among us. And he has provided us with a way to have the men we need to guide and protect us and lead us toward the love and care of the great shepherd. So he has this system in place where we have people within each congregation who we can go to, we can talk to, we can get advice from, and we can receive leadership and care from uh, as, as our shepherds within a congregation. And that's a wonderful thing. That's a comforting thing. I hope it is to you. It is to me. Because I know if I have a, an issue, if I have a problem, if I need prayers, if I need care, whatever it may be, I can go to one of our shepherds here uh, at Dalreda and I can, I can request that. And you can too. And it's important to remember that and to take advantage of it um, as, as often as you need to. If you look over at 1 Timothy 5-17, through 17, um, Paul writes to Timothy and says, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. Elders are meant, to, uh, meant for a special service and should be the kind of sheep we can trust, just as we can trust the true Lamb of God. See, elders are sheep too. You know, They might be shepherds in the flock, but they're also part of the flock. They're all included in that family. Uh, Peter encapsulates who a shepherd is. If you look at 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 4, he gives a very good description of, of shepherds <clears throat> or what a shepherd should be. He says, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. And he says to the shepherds, Shepherd the flock that's among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Now, of course, that unfading crown of glory is contingent upon what? It's contingent upon the things that came before it. Not acting under, under compulsion or for shameful gain or domineering or, you know, doing any of the things, but doing it eagerly and willingly and, and, and lovingly, and being examples. And I'm so grateful that we have elders, we have shepherds like that 
here, and I see them, I've seen them in other churches as well. Um, men who are willing and able and loving and uh, ready to serve, ready to shepherd the flock. And that's a wonderful, wonderful blessing. Okay, well, let's go ahead and try to, uh-oh, I accidentally went, went for, can y'all go back one, David? I'm sorry. I accidentally went forward to the work thing already. Um, Jesus is the great shepherd and the lamb. He's everything and everything we need. So he's everything, but he's also everything we need. And he invites us into his kingdom to serve and work as he does in a sharing, cooperative, and collaborative relationship with him, his Father, and the Holy Spirit. And I have another quote from an article here that might help to blow this out a little bit better. In his article titled, The Theology of Work and the Work of Christian Scholars, uh, Donald Greisinger states, My father is still working, Jesus said, and I am also working. It's in John five seventeen, And his invitation still stands that all who will receive him will become his people. And all who put their trust in him will become his church. God's own people through whom the nations of the earth will be blessed. What Karl Barth calls the community of the world. We have the opportunity to work with the chief shepherd and bring this community to everyone around us. When, when Jesus is talking about us, his new creation, he's talking about us, his community. He's talking about us, his nation. And that's what we're called to be and called to do out in the world as well, is to go and to bring other people into that same community. Okay. Work application. I guess I, don't, I didn't have a conclusion slide, so that's why I made a mistake. So some of the work application that goes along with this lesson, just to help wrap this up, and we'll try to move on into the next lesson and get a little bit of that knocked out as well today. Sheep and shepherding in the church are still central figures of leadership in life today for us, for you and me. We serve the Lamb who is also our good shepherd and we're led by our local shepherds here at Dalreda as in other congregations. Uh, but we also have leadership responsibilities as the sheep of his pasture. So just because we fall under the leadership of somebody else doesn't mean that we're not leaders. We lead from where we are. You lead from where you are. You're not just a follower. You're also a leader as one of his sheep. We are called to be sheep like the shepherd sacrificial as the lamb was sacrificed. We are to be ready to lay down our lives for others as the good shepherd has done for us. This is a self-effacing, sacrificial way of life, one in which we don't get angry with someone who slights us or ignores us, but we love them and pray for them. See, it's easy for us, and, and, and we could try to rationalize and even justify that if somebody slights us or calls us a name or is mean to us, that we should do the same back to them. But that's not the way Jesus lived. It's not the way Jesus taught us to live. That's not the example we have, and it's not the example that we're supposed to give. 
We're a kingdom of sheep with a good shepherd who shows us the clear way to the best things in life, all of which are found in him. The ultimate picture of the sheep and shepherd relationship is one of perfect community and love and care. Within the community of sheep, we have love, peace, and joy that we share with one another and desire to share with those who are not in our flock. We as sheep are not exclusive or unkind, but willing to include more sheep in the abundance of water and sweet nourishment our shepherd provides for us. So because of the advantages, because of the blessings that we receive from our shepherd, Jesus, we have the opportunity, we have leverage, we have a platform from which to launch our own leadership as sheep into the world, to bring more into the flock, into that pasture, into the nourishment of God, into the leadership of our perfect and great shepherd. And that's part of how that plays into our lives. That's where that work as shepherd, you as shepherds in the world, and shepherdesses, if you, if you like, are to act and react toward all of creation, bringing people into our community. A few uh, questions for thought, just to end up, and um, then we'll move into the next lesson. So, as lambs of Jesus, how do we follow his shepherding example? How do you follow Jesus' shepherding example? Give me an example of something you've done or how you would react. Okay, that could be a good example. So leading our families. And in, in what ways? What are some tactics, some specific examples of ways that you lead your family? How do you use Jesus' example of shepherding? By the way you act? Do what you say? Okay. Do you have plans for your family? Have you made plans for your family? I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about financial plans. I'm talking about eternal plans here. Have you made eternal plans for your family? Are you a manager and a leader in your family? Are you making eternal plans for your family? Are you being that kind of shepherd? That's the kind of shepherd Jesus is. That's the kind of shepherd he calls us to be. Are you making eternal plans for those you love? All around you? Are you making eternal plans for yourself? Are you using that in your family? It's a question. I hope you are. I can definitely do better. I think we probably all can. It's not about just here and now, right? It's not just about what we're doing from moment to moment. It's what we're doing in eternity. It's what we're doing. It's what we're aiming for forever. 
It's making those plans and then following through, like George was just saying. Being an example, following through. It's an eternal mission. What are the best things in the life of a Christian? And how do these things play out in your work? Consider some of the best things about being a Christian. How do they play out in your work? They're not things, okay? They're not things. Expound upon that. Okay, so, yeah. That's great. Yeah, so there's, so there's this eternal confidence we have because of the hope we have in Jesus that, that leads us through. Hey, Noah, did you have something? You can, yeah, that's right. And that reminds us of all the good things, that, all the blessings that we have too. So every blessing that comes down from God, we can use to support everything else we do. Hope is a great one because it, it tells us, hey, you know, just because maybe I didn't get that raise that I wanted, that doesn't really matter. What really matters is the hope of Jesus. Just because... Maybe I didn't, um, you know, get to go on that vacation that I wanted to go on or things didn't turn out just the way I wanted them to in some particular circumstance. That's okay because what really matters is, is the eternal blessings. What really matters is, is the fact that, that God has me. Do you, do you ever think of things like uh, as patience as a blessing? As a Christian, you know, a lot of times in life... Boy, oh man, you know, things try our patience. They try our patience on a constant basis, on a daily basis. And sometimes we think, oh man, I wish there weren't a such thing as patience. But you know what? As Christians, as we're built up in that, how do we use that in our work? Wow, man, there are so many times in my work when I'm so grateful that I have developed some patience in my life. If I didn't have patience... I would have gotten fired, you know. If I didn't have patience, I would have left that job a long time ago or, you know, I just wouldn't have followed through on something like I should have. That's a blessing. That's a wonderful blessing. That's something you can use, you can leverage in your work and something that you can grow in your work that you can leverage as a person, as a a follower of Christ, as his sheep and as his leader and, and the way that you operate in your life and the way that you're around other people, you know. These things all go together. They're not separate. They're all together. They're fused, you know? So why, then, is the community uh, in Jesus so important? And, And how do we extend this community through our work as sheep of his pasture? Why is this such an important community? How does it help us out there? 
everywhere. Okay. All right. So we so we have a mission that's been given the great commission that's been given to us that is a a no kidding marching orders kind of thing. It's our job. <clears throat> but in in your job and any of your jobs, is there something besides the fact that your boss tells you to do it that you do it for? Is there some other reason? Why are you, what's motivating you? Is it your paycheck? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Great point. right absolutely as kelly was just saying we we have a reputation as a church to uphold being a light being a positive light to the community around all around everywhere it's extremely important it's, it's something that that we as christians need to radiate in our daily lives in our work everywhere we go everything we do to radiate that positive light uh, from jesus himself and I think that goes back a little bit to what I was just asking. What's your motivation to work? What is behind it? Is it for self-glorification? If so, I'm afraid you're pointing the wrong place. Is it for a paycheck? If so, you might be pointing to the wrong place. Is it to glorify God? Is it to, to bring glory to his kingdom, to his community? It's all tied in. It's all wrapped up in, in, in the questions and the motivation that you're looking at and the way that you work. And I don't mean just work, work. I mean all work, okay? It all goes together. It has to. It, it needs to fit. All right. Well, any, any more questions or comments before we move on to the next lesson? I want to try to knock out a little bit of this before, we, <laughs> before the bell rings. All right, well, we'll go on to Jesus the farmer then. Jesus the farmer. Um, Before we start, I want to say a prayer. I I try to do this at the beginning of each lesson, just a a short prayer for for farmers, if you bow with me. God, we thank you so much for the work that you give to us. We're so grateful for those who provide food food. We know that there are so many right now who might be going through a tough time because of the flooding. Their topsoil might have washed away into a river. Or maybe there was a crop that they were trying to raise and it's flooded and it's getting waterlogged. And they need those waters to recede. And we ask that you will bless and help them. And God, please be with those all throughout the year who are trying to produce crops. And help them to see that they're not just producing crops for humanity, but they're producing food for a people who will go into an eternal kingdom and who will survive not on food and water, but on your glory and your goodness forever. God, please be with those who 
need your help right now and please continue with us and help us to bless and keep them and to bring them into your kingdom and for us all to work together to do your will and to glorify you in everything we do. We pray all this through Jesus. Amen. As the creator of life, it makes perfect sense that Jesus would know about how and why things grow. But he wouldn't just know the basics. Jesus doesn't just know the basics about farming. As the maker of space, time, and matter, Jesus knows how everything works and and exactly what to tell us to ensure we can bring to life those who were dead in their sins. He knows how to rejuvenate our souls. While there will always be some mystery to salvation and how his blood works, this mystery has been revealed to you and me by the great farmer and gardener himself. And in this study, we'll see how Jesus taught about things that grow, including his people, how he set up the botanical world and we know, uh, the world that we know, and how he sustains it and how he sustains the growth of everything and everyone, including his church. It's not just a matter of upholding creation, upholding the physical world. He's upholding the spiritual world as well, which includes us. We're in that between. We live in this physical world. We're also a part of that spiritual world. And that's Jesus bridging that gap. There we go. Jesus' farming ministry. Jesus had a farming ministry. There are many families in South Alabama who grew up with farming or gardening as a part of their lives. In my own family, our farming property spans eight generations on the same property, and some of that land is still planted today. My dad still does some farming out there, mostly just for the family. But There seems to be something special in human beings that takes pride, comfort, and peace in the act of planting, growing, tending, and harvesting food, flowers, and other crops that provide the basic needs of life. My dad remembers when he was a little boy picking cotton. Um, he'd, he'd take a, a little sack out with him to the field, and he'd pick as much cotton as he could during the day. And when the field hands who picked for a day's wage would go to the payment table to get paid, he'd line up with them, and, uh, and he'd usually get enough uh, cotton weight in his sack for a nickel. They'd pay him a nickel for the cotton he picked, and it was just enough for him to buy himself a little ice cream at the little store where they dropped off the field workers in the afternoon after the day was over. And this, is a, this story is a steady reminder of the difficulty, pride, joy, community, and family of work. It's the kind of atmosphere we're meant to have in our workplaces, and even more so in the work as we do as a church for the owner of the vineyard. See, so many times, I think, in our, in our work today, we get bogged down. That there's, there's, in America especially, where we're, we're extremely blessed. You know, a lot of times we feel like, uh, I'm entitled to this job. I deserve a job. Um, you ever considered for a moment that, that whatever occupation you have, that's a, that's a great blessing? That is a gift to you? That that occupation, I know sometimes it doesn't feel like it. Sometimes we have jobs we do not like very much. But you know what? That Having an occupation is a gift. Not everybody in this world has an occupation. Not everybody is blessed with the opportunity to, to work. From the very beginning, God gave Adam the gift of work. He gave him something to do. He gave him something to keep himself occupied. It's something to think about. Something important, I think. 
because it'll guide your work ethic. It'll help you to appreciate what you do, and I think it'll help you to be a little more motivated in what you do, not just in your work at work, but your work in the church, because it's a great blessing to have work to do in the church. It really is. And you know what? Every single one of you has a job, and I do too. We all have something to do. It's a great blessing. All right, well, thanks so much for your attention. We'll pick up here next, uh, next Sunday.